right, so we are continuing our voice series. This is part four of the series. If you've been with us, um, we've covered a lot of ground. If you haven't been with us, um, we started this thing. The, the kind of core concept in this series is that your vocation, your calling, the work God has created you to do, your contribution to the world, and you have a contribution to make, your purpose, you you have a purpose. I don't know if maybe, maybe this is just the beginning. You're struggling to come to terms with that. You have a purpose in the world. There's a reason that you're here. You have something to give. You have a gift to give away through your life. But the, the core idea at the beginning of this whole thing is that that is meant to flow from your identity, who you are. That you don't earn an identity by doing stuff in the world, but that God, the good works God created you in advance to do, that those things are meant to flow from who you already are. This is really good news for us. That's part one. Go back and watch it. Check it out on the podcast if you haven't heard it. Um, but I think that's a message that'll minister to you. And then last week, we talked about the resistance. This idea that if you're gonna say yes, if you're gonna take a step, if you're gonna begin to walk in the thing God has for you to do, you will face resistance. Can I get an amen from anybody? You've experienced it. Some of you are in it right now, and I know, I felt it last week that there's some of you, and you're going, this is what I've been going through, and I haven't, I thought it was unique to me. I thought the struggle was unique. I thought the opposition I was facing was a sign that I was in the wrong place. But no, if you're saying yes, you will experience resistance. What is it? How do you relate to it? That was last week's message. Go back, check that out, that out if you haven't. But I made a promise to you. I said, yeah, we're talking about resistance, but next week, which is now this week, we're gonna talk about the flow. The flow, that's the other side. That's where you wanna be. This is what we all long for. We wanna feel the flow. We wanna live in the flow. We wanna experience the flow where your passions and your gifts and your skills and the thing you're here to do, that you're not working it up. You're not, there's not, you're not just facing the friction and the conflict and the tension and you're grinding and trying to, trying to force something to happen, but you're in the flow of your gift, your purpose in your real life. Um, and I'm gonna go ahead and blow this sermon from the beginning. And uh, spoil it for you. Can I do that? And uh, that's this. The big idea here today is that the place of the flow in your life comes from embracing your limitations. You can't do everything. You can't be everything. You are not, you don't have the skills or the talent, or the energy, or the capacity to be and do everything that everyone in the world needs, or probably everything that everyone in your life needs, or probably everything that everyone in your office needs, or whatever, wherever you find yourself, that you have limits. And when we begin to come to terms with those and embrace those, that we can find ourselves finally in the flow. You with me? Yeah, you wanna know. All right, let's do this. We're gonna, we're gonna read a little bit more about our friend Gideon. We started talking about him last week and it felt so good. We're just gonna keep the story going. Judges 6, verse 11. You can turn there in your Bibles. I'm gonna turn in mine. We'll have it on the screen as well. Judges 6, starting in verse 11. This is uh, these first few verses we read last week. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So we talked about this idea last week that Gideon 
So, so Israel has been overthrown, is being threatened by the hand of Midian, which is a, a nation. And the book of Judges is this. Every generation, the Israelites turn away from God and they become oppressed by some other nation. And then every generation, God raises up a leader to deliver him, deliver the nation of Israel. And that leader would be the judge of that generation. So that's where the word judges comes from. And Gideon is the judge of his generation. So yeah, it's like a few chapters at a time, the whole book of Judges is just the stories of different people um, that God called uh, in each generation. And it's, it's pretty powerful stuff. And so Gideon is, um, the angel shows up and it says, Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press. We talked about this. What's weird about that picture? That, uh, that you don't thresh wheat in wine presses. You thresh wheat on a threshing floor. You press grapes into wine in a wine press. The threshing floor would be on a hilltop and wine presses in a hole. Why are you doing in a hole what you're supposed to be doing in a hilltop? It's because he's afraid. He's hiding. And the, the, it's, it's, not, uh, it's less effective to thresh wheat in a wine press. You need to be on a hilltop. You need the winds because you throw the, the wheat up in the air and the chaff blows away and the heavy kernels that they want to keep fall to the ground. You can't do it well in a wine press. Why is he doing it? He's hiding. And the Lord shows up and he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. So the question we asked last week at the end of the sermon was, what are you doing in a hole when you need to be on a hill? Where is fear? Are you facing fear as resistance in your life? Get, welcome Gideon. God says, the Lord is with you. God presents a word over Gideon's life that is the opposite of what his life looks like and the opposite of what he believes about himself. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? Maybe that's a question in your heart around faith these days. Yeah, 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 where are all the wonders that I heard about? I'm aware of the history, where is God in the present? But now the Lord has abandoned us and even given us into the hand of Midian, he says. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have, and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. Manasseh is his tribe. So Israel has the tribes. He's, his clan was the weakest in his tribe, and, uh, and he's the least in his family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and I will strike, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. So God shows up to Gideon. Gideon's story is a story from fear to faith. It's a story from hiding to stepping out, um, to being exposed, vulnerable in a good way so that God can actually use him. And here we have the, the beginning of, of Gideon's calling and the beginning of his Obedience, I just want to name a few things. We're going to read a few more passages in his story, but I just want to name a few things. Um, first of all, uh, when God calls Gideon, he says, I want you to go in the strength you have. Go in the strength you have. Don't go in somebody else's strength. Don't, go, don't try to go in the strength that you think you need to have. Go in the strength you have. And Gideon says, he says, how? How can I do what you're calling me to do? And God's answer is the same as it always is every time he calls somebody. And this, if this sounds familiar, it's because this dialogue happens over and over and over again throughout the Bible. It's almost word for word with Moses. The answer to how, 
how am I gonna do the thing that you're saying I'm gonna do? God says, I will be with you. I will be with you. We're gonna put a pin in that. We're gonna come back to it in just a little bit. But Gideon, after hearing the call of God, he says, if now I've found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it's really you talking to me. And something we'll see uh, in just a few minutes is that Gideon needs assurance that he's actually hearing from God, that, it's, that God is actually speaking to him and that he's not crazy and that, that God is actually gonna come through with, uh, in the ways that God is promising him. So he says, he says, give me a sign that it's really you talking to me. We're not gonna read this next passage. You can read it on your own. But the angel says, okay, make an offering, put some wood together. He does it and then the angel takes a staff, touches the wood, it goes up in flames and consumes the offering. And Gideon says, oh my gosh, it's really God and you're really speaking to me. So we'll go to the next passage here. Are we good? Can we read the Bible for a few minutes today? Come on, come on, come on. This is good stuff. How many of you are like, oh, I just read Gideon? No. You're welcome. Now all the Midianites, Amalekites, and other Eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the Valley of Jezreel. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon and he blew a trumpet. That's what happens if the Spirit comes on you. You'll know it because you will be compelled to blow a trumpet also. Summoning the Abiezrites to follow him, he sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms and also to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali. So they two went up to meet them. Okay, what's happening? They're about to go to war. That's what's happening here. It's the moment, the moment is coming. Gideon said to God, if you'll save Israel by my hand as you promised, look, I'll place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. I'm gonna pause. Okay, so, so God made a promise and now that, that moment is coming. Some, something happened in between the two that we didn't read and that is the first thing God told Gideon to do after he, he proved himself with the altar and the, the staff is he said, I want you to go tear down your father's altar to Baal. And so in the middle of the night, Gideon was still probably afraid, so he did it sneakily in the middle of the night. And he went and tore down his father's altar to Baal. And in the morning, everybody wanted to kill him. And his father said, don't touch him. And then the people rallied around and they gave him a nickname, Jerob Baal, which means let Baal contend. Like, okay, if Baal's really there, Baal's a, this false god that the people of, of Cana would worship, Canaan would worship and the Israelites were tempted to and, and gave way into at different times throughout um, the history of the Old Testament. And so the, his kind of nickname was like, well, if Baal's real, let him deal with this, basically. <laughs> and so here we are now. The moment is coming. Gideon has already had his moment of if, if it's really you and if this is real, give me a sign. And here he is again. Now that it's the moment to step out, he says, if you will save Israel by my hand as you promised, look, I'll place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there's dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand as you've said. And that's what happened. So here, Gideon is going, I'll, I know what I'll do. I'll use physics because I'm very familiar with the fact that, if, that normally dew would cover both fleece and ground, but the laws of physics will be broken this night if God is with me. <laughs> I'm laying the fleece out. And this is where the phrase put out a fleece comes from. Have you ever heard this phrase? Like, I'm gonna put out, the, like, this is how I'm, I'm putting out a fleece. People say this to me, and like, I'm, I'm sort of testing to see if this is the right thing. It comes from the story of Gideon. He puts out this fleece, and it says, and, and let's note, he's on the threshing floor now, which I'm assuming is a real threshing floor, which means he's gotten a little braver. If there's dew only on the fleece and, on, and the ground is dry, then I'll know that you will save Israel by my hand. And that's what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, don't be angry with me. 
Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. Do the opposite thing now. But this time, make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. He's like, I just got to make sure that this isn't just the way it always works. Because <laughs> I'm not, I, I realize I don't, don't know that much about dew. <laughs> that night, God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. This is Gideon's way. And this, and this is what he needed. God called him, he needed assurance. I just want to point out, God does not give him a hard time for what he needs. God honors what he needs. I'm giving him a hard time, but mainly because that's me. Right? God is patient. He's willing to work with you. He's willing, he wants to walk with you. I love it. I love that we've been in a season of, of test God. I'll unapologetically say it. Test him. If God's made a promise, he, he, he is personal and he wants to interact with you. And I, that's, that was the whole 90-day tithe challenge of the summer. It was test him. He says, test him, test him. Test him. See what happens. And God's saying, you want a dry fleece? You want a wet fleece? Whatever. Let's do this, man. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered in dew. Early in the morning, next verse, Jerob Baal, that is Gideon, it's his nickname, let Baal contend, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. This is where I want to be right now, right? Yeah, it is, okay. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into your hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. So Gideon is about, the moment is here. The fleeces have gone out. Gideon's going, okay, we're here. Let's leave the army. And God says, whoa, whoa, whoa. You have too many soldiers. You'll likely win this battle with all these soldiers, but I'm not calling you to win with a massive army. I'm calling you to win as yourself. So two thirds of them leave. And God says, there's still too many men. Take them down to the water and I will thin them out for you there. <laughs> if I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. One last slide. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink, I guess just mouth to the water. The Lord said to Gideon, there's not a great way, right, to drink water out of a river without a cup. With, with the 300 men that I, so, so God, the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. This is the original 300. This is it. It's so interesting. God calls Gideon and he says, go in the strength you have. 
I'm going to deliver Midian out of your hands. And then what, when it finally comes time to do the thing, Gideon has, he has too much of other people's strength. So God says, we're going we're gonna to whittle this down a little bit. I told you to go in the strength you have. Not to go with an army. Not to just go with your friends. By the way, when he tore his father's altar to bail down, he took his friends with him. And that's okay. Sometimes you need, your, you need friends. Don't go it alone, right? There is a time coming, though, where God is calling you to step out and to stand on your own two feet and to believe that you don't need a crutch, you don't need a staff, you don't need a shoulder to lean on. In fact, sometimes there's a day coming where you're gonna be the shoulder that somebody leans on. And it's fine to be wherever you are. There are times in my life where I need the people around me. I need to lean on the people around me. I need community. We need community. But God is saying, I want you to believe in yourself enough to go in your own strength. So let's talk about some limits. And 32,000 becomes 300. This is the last verse we'll read out of Judges. Uh, they win though. They win the battle. That's what you need to know. You should read it. It's just a few chapters. Judges 6, 7, and 8. Um, and, uh, and God continues to be patient with with. Uh, Gideon, even before the battle, he says, hey, if you need a little encouragement, I'll give you one more thing. And he gives him, he pushes him over the top. God offers the final encouragement to, to help give Gideon the faith in the face of fear that God would come through for him. Go in the strength you have. And let's embrace your limits. There's a, a TED Talk that came out in 2013 called Embrace the Shake. Has anybody ever seen this, this video? All right, a few people. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, of course you have. Um, there's uh, no one in the nine o'clock had seen it. I, I love this video. Uh, it's about a, a young man who in art school um, developed a shake in his right hand from years and years of practicing pointillism, right? Where you, you, draw, you, you make uh, paintings or, or large pieces of art with tiny little points, dots, uh, over and over and over again. And he developed a shake to where he couldn't do the dots anymore. They became little dashes and squiggles. And, and it was so debilitating that he, he tried to give up art, but realized, I can't, I can't give up on this. This is like, I'm suffering not being able to use and practice the craft that I've, my life is about. And so finally he went to a neurologist and the neurologist said, hey, you've got permanent nerve damage actually. Um, so why don't you just embrace the shake? Maybe you just embrace this thing. And he goes, okay. So he goes home, and he, instead of uh, the, the dots, he started just doing squiggles because that was, he could do that with a shake, right? And so he, he, he said, I still loved the fragmented idea of like pointillism, a bunch of tiny little points coming together to make something bigger. So I, I did something with squiggles, and he, he did this, this piece of art, which is a self-portrait that's actually just zoomed in as a bunch of tiny little squiggles. Um, and, and then he thought, man, man what... Um, what, what else could I do as if, if, I'm, if I'm just embracing and working within the confines of what I can physically do as an artist? Because he understands art and he understands composition. And so he, he realized, oh, I can do stuff on larger scale. I could build larger pieces. I could, I could do things that are uh, still do fragmented stuff that, but that's, that's bigger and not like tiny little points. And so he's, he, 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 in the TED Talk, he shows all kinds of different work that he does. You should definitely check it out. Um, and so it's this kind of breakthrough moment where he's going, wow, embracing the shake. I'm embracing my limits. I'm working with what I can. 
Fast forward a few years, uh, graduates art school, gets a, a job that pays some money and he can finally afford some art supplies. So he goes to the, he goes to the art store, buys all the stuff he wants, goes home, and with a blank canvas and no limits on his supplies, is about to finally create in an unhindered way, in a way that he was, he'd been looking forward to, and he realized that he, he couldn't. He had this creative block and couldn't, he couldn't think of anything. And he said he went to a dark place for a long time where he just couldn't create. And then the, the lesson of embrace the shake returned. He thought, well, maybe I need the limits, actually. And so he thought, okay, well, I spent all my money on my art supplies. What if I tried to do a, a, a piece uh, on the lowest budget possible rather than you know, ha- having a large budget for all the supplies? So he went to Starbucks and got a bunch of free Starbucks cups and used a pencil that he already owned, and he did this piece. And he thought, wow, okay. And so as he started giving himself new challenges and creating limits for himself, his creativity exploded and he, and he embarked on an entire journey of all sorts of different um, art defined by limits. Now he does this TED talk, you can take that down. His whole TED talk was about, not just about art, but about life. And that we think that limits will inhibit creativity but actually limits fuel our creativity because they give you a lane to run in. They give you a, a river needs banks or it's a swamp, right? You have no direction if you have no limits. Have you ever been stuck behind an Uber Eats delivery person? And you're like, no, nope. uh, is this the house you're going to? No. Nope. Is this the street you want to turn on? No. Nope. Left, right, no, because they're looking at their GPS, they don't know where they're going, right? And so you're like, can I just go around you? I'm afraid you're gonna take a left turn and we're gonna be, versus getting on the freeway, getting in the left lane and going, right? The, you, you can really go somewhere because you're not wondering, am I about to turn right or left? There's no options in that moment and you can really move. Limitations fuel creativity. Uh, the, the artist's name is Phil Hansen. That, that TED Talk is called Embrace the Shake. You can just Google Embrace the Shake TED Talk. One of the things he says, though, is, is what if I stopped trying to get out of the box? It's all about out-of-the-box thinking, especially at that time. And what if I got into the box that is my life? What if I got into the box, which for him was his physical limitations? What if you got into the box of the details of your life, your actual skills, your actual education, your actual uh, relational capital and social network, your actual social location, your actual story, your actual life? And that doesn't mean that you that we can't do anything to improve our circumstances or to develop or grow. We're not talking about growth, actually. I'm talking about you don't have to become somebody else in order for God to use you. I love personality tests and assessments, and there's all kinds of tools out there that are really amazing. Uh, I know some of us have probably had experiences where you've taken one in a circumstance and, and the person administering it misused it and it was actually had a harmful effect rather than a helpful one. You don't have to raise your hand if that's been you. Um, but God is not delivering you from your personality type. That's not changing, right? 
spiritual formation does not mean becoming a different person. It means growing, maturing, developing. And that happens as we begin to embrace the you that you actually are, the me that I actually am. And you can, of course, grow in new strengths. And you can even grow your weaknesses. Um, but gosh, some, some of us maybe have spent way too long, this is very practical, trying to uh, grow in our weaknesses. And I'm just talking like in technical skills and some of that, not talk, speaking morally or anything like that. You try to grow your weaknesses for too long and, and maybe you can raise the floor a little bit in your life. But we never, we, we, stay, we stay with a low ceiling if that's our mindset because so many of us, we're trying to, we're, we, we feel this pressure to be everything rather than be the specific person with the specific skills and gifts and passions and desires and what things that make you tick that you have. Is this okay that I'm saying this? Is this speaking to anybody? It's specificity. I listened to an interview years ago with, um, the creator of the show Blackish. You guys ever watched that? And um, the, the interviewer was asking, he's like, man, this show has had such a, uh, it's, it's um, connected with such a wide demographic audience uh, in such a, a unique way. What do you attribute that to? And, and he said, I think it's just that universality through specificity thing. And that phrase really got me. And I, I've heard that in different places before, but the point he was making was, there's a specific story being told and in the specificity, people, uh, people can universally connect with it. This is just true in storytelling and true in you are in my life. And so, so you don't have to be the epitome. Let's just connect it with vocation for a minute. You don't have to be the epitome of the thing that you feel called to. If you're looking at an example of the person who's uber successful or who's, who's done whatever field you're in, right? If you're in financial advising and you look at like the best financial advisor in the world or the, the that your mentor, the person that's in your company, and, and you're comparing yourself to this picture of a, of a life or a career or a person that is the epitome of that thing, of course you can learn from them and gain from them because they've gained a lot of knowledge and experience. But the best version of whatever you're called to do is gonna be you. The best version of you is gonna be you parentheses, what God says to Gideon, with God with you. How will you do this thing? I'll be with you. Go in the strength that you have. I'll be with you. A plus B equals more than you can possibly imagine. Embrace the shake. Embrace the limitations. Embrace who you are. Don't feel like you need to be somebody else maybe a more famous or classic or iconic example of this in the Old Testament is David and Goliath, right? David shows up to fight the giant and he's given someone else's armor and someone else's weapons. And he says, I can't, this stuff's too clunky. I can't, I can't move. It's unfamiliar. And he says, I actually feel confident with what I know. And that is a sling and a stone. I've already killed the lion. I killed the bear. I can do it this way. I can be me. And he succeeds to a greater degree than anyone before him, 
simply by being himself, even if that version of himself looked silly, and it did, he looked silly until he succeeded. I'm gonna read one more thing to you. Can I do that? We'll read it together. It's a page out of a book called The Anointing, Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow by R.T. Kendall. It's a book that, um, the, the, the story he's gonna tell here um, this is just a little little context where he's speaking specifically about preachers and pastors and people in vocational ministry, but I think this story and the examples here are so powerful for all of us, no matter what field you find yourself in, no matter what we're talking, when we talk about vocation, that can mean all sorts of things. It can mean your job, it can mean the family you're leading, it can mean the community you're building, it can mean the way you ex- feel called to exist in the world. Uh, but I love this way that he talks about authentic anointing. This is the flow, y'all. This is the thing. When we talk about the flow, this is God using you, the real you, to do more than than you could do by yourself. That's the flow. And I think that's what is meant when we use the word anointing in sort of spiritual context as well. God will, yeah, use the spirit to anoint you to do things that that are your weaknesses and that you can't possibly do. But man, I think so often the thing we see is God moves and breathes on someone using their actual gift in their lane in a moment, and the, and the, the result is greater than the sum of the parts. Are you with me? All right, so, so let me just read this to you. Can we do that? All right, R.T. Kendall, he says, when we live within the limitations of our anointing, there's freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty, 2 Corinthians 3.17. As my friend Pete Cantrell says, the greatest liberty is having nothing to prove. That's a good word. I've discerned by trial and error that the more conscious I am of God's presence, the more I feel like being myself. The less conscious I am of his presence, the more I feel the need to prove myself. But the more I am myself, the greater my liberty. He's talking about this kind of flywheel. The more I'm aware of God's presence, the more I feel like being myself, and the more I'm myself, the more liberty I have, and the more liberty I have, the more I can be myself, right? So there's this thing that takes place. This is because I'm affirming God who made me as I am. When I move outside my anointing, I'm trespassing. When I try to mimic somebody else, I'm stealing another's anointing and it always backfires on me. The funny thing is when I try to imitate someone else, I never capture their real genius, but their eccentricity. I'm gonna read that again. Apply it to your life, no matter how it makes sense. The funny thing is when I try to imitate someone else, I never capture their real genius, but their eccentricity. It is a fact that what is most easily copied in any man or woman is their odd manner or even their weakness. A well-known Texas preacher, this is gonna be the example from a preacher here. A well-known Texas preacher of a previous generation had an eccentric habit of cupping his left hand over his ear when he began to soar in his preaching. Nobody knew why he did it. Young ministers all over Texas and Oklahoma would do the same thing. When they thought they were ringing the bell, the left hand would come up over the ear. They thought they had the anointing. As it happened, that same well-known Texas preacher was made professor of preaching at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. You could always tell one of his students. Now, I told the above story at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary a few years ago. I did it to see if I could find out why the old preacher cupped his left hand over his ear while preaching. It worked. One of the old, older professors came up afterward. I know exactly whom you're talking about, he said. But why on earth did he do that with his left hand over his ear, I asked. The suspense is killing us. Because he was hard of hearing, came the answer. He could hear his own voice better. 
hardly the anointing, but when a person begins to imitate another who happens to have a great anointing, that person will not get the true anointing, but will ape his eccentricity. Dr. Lloyd-Jones told me of a man in Wales years ago who had the habit of shaking his head back to keep hair from falling over his eyes. That's my new move. Sure enough, said Dr. Lloyd-Jones, there were young men all over Wales who would shake their heads as they preached. Even one was bald-headed. God made each of us as we are. He chose our parents before we were born, chose our environment, our childhood peers, and shaped our interests, not to mention determining our IQ. When we come to terms with our limitations, we gain not only peace, but also productivity in the end. We will do a thousand times more by accepting our limitations than we will by being governed by unrealistic expectations or unwarranted ambitions and trying to prove how clever we are. It is he who made us and we are his, Psalm 100, verse three. But now this is what the Lord says, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine, Isaiah 43, one. This is the anointing yesterday, today, and tomorrow, page 33 by R.T. Kendall. I'm gonna invite the band to come on back up on stage. What a powerful picture for us. How have you been tempted to imitate somebody else because you think they're the picture, right? Or that they, they are operating in a way that you would like to in the world. And it's like, they're just being them and it's working. You've gotta be you and trust that somehow, God will use that. The things that you think of as weaknesses, the things that you think of as imperfections, and you know what? They are. The things that you think make you weird, you know what? They do. You're weird. We need weird, because we're all weird. We need to see someone else's weirdness. We do not need perfect examples. We need living examples, human examples. We all need evidence that God can use somebody who's got all the same sorts of stuff that we do so that we can know that he'll use us. So be that. I'm gonna get you to stand with us. We're gonna respond. We've got a few minutes to respond here. Communion around the stage and in the back of the room. Ministry team will be back here in front of the curtain, or maybe behind the curtain, wherever you see a person that looks like they wanna pray for you. I had this picture in the first service in my mind of um, this summer when we were on sabbatical, we were in Southern California for a few days and we went to this strawberry farm for the kids to pick strawberries. And um, it's this giant field just covered in strawberries. And Waverly, our, our almost two-year-old, was just walking down these rows of, of strawberry vines and, or bushes and would just literally was just, would just bite a strawberry off the vine, take one bite and leave the rest of the strawberry there. Just covered, they, they were both just covered in juice. I mean, I probably had 30 strawberries. And this, I mean, I thought it was gonna, I was gonna be sick. It actually, I felt great. I've got a whole new business that I'm gonna start. It's a strawberry diet, no. Um, and I just, I don't know, this picture in my mind of like, they weren't trying to do too much. It was just strawberries <laughs> and it was awesome. And maybe that's a picture for somebody that, that the one thing, that God is leading you or created you to, to specialize in in the world. Let's think just practically for a minute about your, maybe it's about your career. That one thing is worth your energy. It's worth your time. That one field of strawberries, ripe, huge, delicious, half-eaten strawberries is, is better than a, a giant farm with a bunch of different stuff that are okay. 
right? It's in embracing the limits. It's in getting specific. It's in being the unique person that you are, that there's freedom and there's flourishing. And there's the opportunity to really cultivate something that you can give away. So God, would you give us the confidence? Would you give us the faith that you would use even me? Threshing wheat in a wine press, hiding away in a hole, not on a hill when you found me, but yet you spoke a better word. Felt like I needed to take my friends with me to be able to pull off the thing that you were calling me to do. Felt like I needed a hundred times the army to do the thing that you were calling me to do. Felt like I needed somebody else's armor, somebody else's weapons, tools, skills, somebody else's life. No. Now would you give us the confidence that you want to use us, that you love us, that you've chosen us, that you have good things planned for us and oh and that it can be a ride and it can be a lot of fun and it can be a life worth living if we're willing to step out and say yes and be the unique limited people you're calling us to be we pray it in Jesus name amen